Uh, as you are no doubt aware, Easter is fastly approaching. Uh, and this is a special time for us as Christians, I'm sure you would agree. For we get a wonderful chance to pay uh, particularly close attention to the cross. And I have decided in the coming weeks to not continue in our study in Exodus, but rather focus on some events you know, leading up to and also after the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday and we will consider that particular account in our, in our service. But for tonight, I want to spend our time considering a healing miracle that occurred just before the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ. So our text tonight is Mark chapter 10. Uh, from verse 46 down to uh, the end of the chapter, and this will form our reading. So Mark chapter 10, uh, commence reading at verse 46. Hear the word of the Lord. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Amen. The title for the sermon This evening is, I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Now, Father, as we come to the preaching of the word uh, this evening, we acknowledge our uh, inabilities and our dependability on you. Father, we ask now that through your spirit, you would help us to understand your word. And Father, please help us this evening to see afresh the glory and beauty of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. This particular miracle recorded before us is actually quite unique. It is one of four documented miracles of restoring sight. But unlike the other three miracles, this miracle is recorded in all of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. Whereas the other healing miracles in regards to blindness are only recorded once. So immediately its significance is highlighted in God recording this numerous times. Jericho, where this miraculous healing was performed, was a beautiful city. Herod the Great had constructed much infrastructure and he used this town as his winter palace. It was known for its fertility and its exquisite gardens. It was affectionately known as a little paradise. And hence, this was a desirous place. So much so that that Mark Antony gifted this town to Cleopatra as a token of his affection. 
But what is unique about this particular place is that this is the only recorded miracle in the city of Jericho. And that's interesting because it was very close to Jerusalem. And Jesus would have made his way through this town on many occasions, and yet it's only this healing that occurs in the parameters of this town that we have recorded. A personal name is also mentioned in this healing. And this further adds to the uniqueness of this miracle. In the Synoptic Gospels, the first name of the recipients of the plethora of miracles that Jesus performed is never revealed. In the Gospel of John, there is the exception of Lazarus. And yet, in this miracle, the name of the man healed is revealed. We're told that his name is Bartimaeus. The preposition Bar in the Aramaic means the son of. So his name means the son of Timaeus. And most scholars feel as though his name is given because he became a very influential man in the early church. He was a very well-known figure. And hence, when this was read, the original readers would think, Ah, Bartimaeus, we, we know that guy. We know who this is talking about. This is his story. Now, this particular miracle is also the last healing miracle in the Gospel of Mark recorded before the cross. And it's one of the final miracles before the greatest miracle of the resurrection. So it's rather obvious that this miracle is of particular significance. Now at this point in time, Jesus in keeping with the divine timetable has now set his eyes on Jerusalem. And in the text before us, Jesus and the disciples are on the final leg of this journey. If you look on the map and the outline sheet, they have left the area of Perea. They have crossed the Jordan River, which is east of Jericho, and they were following the usual route to Jerusalem, remembering that the Jews refused to travel through the land of the Samaritans. And this city of Jericho was one of the final stops before the final ascent to Jerusalem. It would be around a six-hour hike, believed to be 25 to 30 kilometers, but it was all uphill to the holy city. As Jesus and his disciples make this journey, quite the crowd was following, and a multitude had gathered in the streets of Jericho. Our text tells us in verse 46, a great number was present. In Matthew's account, he records that there was a great multitude. We must remember that Passover was nigh, and hence many would be making the journey to Jerusalem. Some scholars suggest that the population of Jerusalem at the time of Christ was around about 120,000. But this would swell to somewhere between 2 to 3 million during the time of Passover. So, So these swollen crowds were composed of Passover pilgrims. It's like Christmas time in our shopping centres. Everyone is there. It's overflowing, completely crowded. You know, that, that is the sense. And also remember that Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. 
And, and this occurred in the town of Bethany. Once again, if you look at the map, Bethany is not far from Jericho. And one would assume that such news would travel rather quickly. And hence, many would have been curious to catch a glimpse of the one who had performed such an amazing miracle. Now imagine if we heard that there was someone in Lismore who would raise someone from the dead. And it was actually true. Now we would want to meet this individual. He or she would be quite popular. And hence this too helps to explain that this, that the large multitude at this particular time. Now what I found particularly interesting is that as Jesus approaches the culmination of his earthly ministry, he no longer shunned the crowds like he did in the earlier part of his ministry. It now seems as the hour approached that the more people that witness this, the better. And with such large crowds travelling to Jerusalem, this was an opportune time for a beggar to set up on the side of the road. This was a prime business opportunity for the local beggars. They're hoping to, to benefit from the dramatic increase in traffic, traffic sorry, and also hoping that the pilgrims were feeling rather generous since they were going to Jerusalem to celebrate a religious festival. And this is what the man identified as Bartimaeus had done. He has set himself up on the side of the road with his hat or or his cup, hoping to receive some gifts. We are informed that Bartimaeus was blind. Whether this was from birth or from some injury or, or disease later on in life, we cannot be certain. But blindness was quite a common disease. Some suggest that since his father's name is mentioned, that may mean that his father was also blind and that this was a genetic problem. And that may well be the case, but I don't believe the text gives us enough information to make this conclusion for sure. But what we do know is that he was blind. And in Bible times, this met a miserable existence. I don't know about you, but I've often thought, what would be the worst of our senses to lose? And I'm sure any would be incredibly challenging. But in my mind, losing one's sight would have to be the worst. It would be horrendous. Imagine trying to live your life without being able to see what's in front of you. Imagine not being able to see the beauty of the creation. Imagine not being able to see your spouse or or your children. Imagine being so reliant on those around you. No blindness would be quite the burden to bear. And in Bible times, it was not just about the difficulty of the disability, but it was also the fact that there was no government assistance like in our society. And hence, when one was blind, it more often than not led to one becoming a beggar. This was the only way to survive. Quite humiliating, quite degrading. And adding to all of this was the fact that quite the stigma was attached to it by the society. One with a disability was regarded as lower than a slave, just above a tax collector. And that's saying something. 
But they were despised, they were mistreated, rejected and shamed. And in their theology, they regarded disease and disability as a form of divine judgment. This was a commonly held belief. Now, do you remember in John chapter 9, there was a man who had been blind from birth. And the question that the disciples asked of Jesus was, is it the sin of this man or the sin of his parents that caused this blindness? That this was the common belief. But Jesus debunked this thinking as wrong. It's incorrect. But nevertheless, the people considered folk with a disability to have committed some sort of atrocious sin, to merit such punishments, and hence they were treated despitefully, treated like an infidel. And here in our text we have Bartimaeus. According to Matthew, there is also another blind man with him. And they wait patiently on the side of the road on yet another day, hoping and praying that that many people would pass by and that they would be feeling generous. Now at this time, Bartimaeus hears a greater commotion than normal. Remembering that blind people have a sharper sense of hearing. And this man knows that something out of the ordinary must be occurring. For there was never this much noise. Something was different. And hence he asks, what is happening? What is going on? And he is told that Jesus of Nazareth is present. And his reaction, his response to this is simply outstanding. It's a wonderful illustration of faith. Bartimaeus had never seen Jesus, that's obvious. But he had heard about him. He had heard about his teachings and his miracles and he cries out. This verb, cry out, has the idea of a scream or a yell. Everybody would hear this. He didn't care what others thought. And he bellows out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Try and picture this. This poor, helpless man. And he is loudly and humbly making this declaration. All would hear it. And what an impressive declaration it was. This title, Son of David... This is the first time it's used in the Gospel of Mark. And it was recognized as a messianic title. And it recalled the divine promises within the Davidic covenant. So Bartimaeus in this pronunciation is declaring his belief that Jesus is Messiah. And isn't it very interesting that he uses this kingly title just before the triumphant entry into Jerusalem? But how impressive it is that this blind man, this one that was so low on the socio-economic ladder, he got it. So many other people did not. And yet he understood who Jesus was. And his understanding is further seen when he says, have mercy on me. This is an acknowledgement of his unworthiness and his helplessness. 
He understood that he did not deserve the attention of Jesus. He didn't deserve to be healed and hence he pleads for mercy. But notice the response to this cry from the crowd in verse 48. Many tried to make him be quiet. Not not just one or two, but many, the, the majority. Can you picture it? Bartimaeus, be quiet. Stop yelling. You're embarrassing. You're making a fool of yourself. No, that, that's enough. Je- Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He's busy. Bartimaeus, if you be quiet, I'll give you a couple of coins. Just, just be quiet, please. And this further reveals how the society regarded those with a disability. You know, his outcry elicited no sympathy from them whatsoever. But I love the response of Bartimaeus. Everyone is telling him to stop. Be quiet. Stop bothering Jesus. And what does he do? He yells even louder. He ignores their persistent efforts to silence him. He doesn't care what they think. He knows that he needs Jesus. And hence strives all the more to gain his attention. I would have loved to witness this scene. This poor old blind man being told to, to, to be quiet and then he yells out for Jesus even louder. And then notice in verse 49, such a, such a tender verse, it says, And Jesus stood still. Jesus heard the cries and he immediately stopped. This cry was not ignored. But rather, Jesus responded compassionately and asked for the man to be brought to him. I wonder if Bartimaeus had any idea what was going on. Was there a silence that came over the crowd as Jesus stopped? We can't be sure. Now, what we do know is that when the news was brought to him, that Jesus wanted to see him, he was thrilled. The text tells us that he removed his garments. This refers to the outer cloak, which was quite large and bulky. Often beggars would sleep in them. And this would slow him down, potentially trip him over. And hence he rips it off. He leaves his begging post behind. There is a a real zeal and an enthusiasm. And he is immediately brought to Jesus. Can you picture his heart beating faster? Perhaps feeling slightly nervous, but also incredibly excited as he is brought before Jesus. And how wonderful it must have been for this man to hear his voice. But Jesus poses a question that is somewhat perplexing. It may even seem slightly rude. What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? That's interesting, isn't it? Well, isn't it rather obvious what, what this man required? And of course, Jesus knew exactly what he wanted, and hence, why ask such a question? And I think this was asked for two reasons. Number one, he had already asked the disciples the same question. In the previous portion of Scripture, the disciples had been asked this question. And the answer that they gave was a terrible answer. 
That they wanted to sit with Jesus, be on the throne, to have prestige and power and honor. That was their request. And hence this question must have immediately stung the disciples. And secondly, Jesus wanted him to confess with his mouth his need. Bartimaeus makes the obvious request, Lord, I want to receive my sight. I wonder what the reaction of the crowd was upon hearing this request. What was that snickers and, and snarls? Yeah, sit down, Bartimaeus. Are you out of your mind? How is he going to restore your, your sight? So, or were they looking on in anticipation? Now, what we do know is that Jesus heard the request. And on account of his faith, notice that it's faith that is emphasized. He believed that Jesus could heal him and he is immediately and completely healed. This was not some trick or or sleight of hand. This was a genuine healing. And what spectacular power. How astounding that in one moment there is complete blindness and then the next perfect vision. Jesus had healed him with a compassionate touch. I wonder what this must have been like for Bartimaeus. To have your eyes open. To to finally see. To experience the light and colors around him. To see the trees, the grass, the people. And the very first thing he sees is Jesus. Jesus. And I can't help but to envision Bartimaeus embracing Jesus after this encounter. Bartimaeus was blind, but now he could see. Now I'd like to draw your attention to three things that this healing reveals. Number one, the identity of Jesus seen in the healing. Who is Jesus? That's a very important question. And this miracle helps us understand his identity. In fact, it's made crystal clear that he is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is not just a prophet or a teacher, as some say. He's not just a great man. He is the God-man, God incarnate. And this is proven so clearly before us. Notice that Bartimaeus bestowed upon him a messianic title. Thou son of David. Every Jew knew what this title meant. Anyone familiar with the Old Testament knew that this was a title for Messiah. And this blind man, in labeling Jesus with this title, is pronouncing that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And what is crucial is that Jesus does not rebuke this man. Nor does he deny or distance himself from this title. In fact, he accepts it. And this means that Jesus is either a lunatic, he is out of his mind, he is crazy and delusional, thinking that he is God, or it means that he is a liar. He accepts this, knowing all too well that it's not true, or it means that he is Lord, that he is God, And that's what you must decide. Is Jesus a lunatic, a liar, or Lord? The thing is, in performing this very miracle, Jesus proves that he is not a lunatic or a liar, but that he is Lord. For how can a lunatic or a liar heal a blind man? 
it's vital that we understand that both the scriptures and the rabbis taught that one of the signs of Messiah was healing the blind. This would be something that he would do. And it's interesting throughout the Bible that it's only Jesus that heals the blind. Prophets and apostles heal various other sicknesses and disabilities, even raise people from the dead, but, but not heal blindness for that. For that is a clear sign and proof of the identity of Messiah. Isaiah 35, which speaks of the Messiah, says in verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Isaiah 42, which is all about the Lord's servants, Messiah. Verses 6 and 7 says, I, the Lord, have called thee righteous, and will hold thy hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes. So healing blindness was something that Messiah would do. It would be a clear proof of the true identity of the long-awaited Messiah. Psalm 146 verse 8 says, The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. It is the Lord. It is God who heals the blind. The scriptures are clear. And this is also clear in the teachings of the rabbis. Now I admit not everything they taught they had correct, but they were Old Testament experts. And they taught and believed that one of the distinguishing features of the Messiah would be his ability to restore sight. And right here, just before he enters Jerusalem, Jesus again makes his identity known. It ought to have been clear to all who were present that Jesus is God. And my friend, it ought to be made very clear to you and I too that Jesus is God. He is one and equal with the Father, John 10.30. He is not just a noble teacher or or some great prophet as some say, but he is the God-man. Fully God, fully man, he's one with the Father in essence and equal in power and glory. This is the identity of Jesus. He is God. That's proven so clearly in this miracle before us and throughout the rest of Scripture. Secondly, we see the integrity of Jesus within this miracle. Now, at this point in time, as Jesus made his way to Jerusalem with an indescribable burden resting upon his heart, remember the cross was fastly approaching. He knew what was in store. And we get a vivid picture in the Garden of Gethsemane of the anguish that Jesus was feeling as he turned his face and focus to the cross. And surely it isn't unreasonable to think that this was already firmly in the mind of Christ as he made his way to the city for the Passover, knowing that he would be the Lamb. And it is at this point in time, when he was no doubt carrying this great burden with his eyes set on the cross, knowing the culminating work of his earthly ministry was fastly approaching, despite all of this, despite his own situation, Jesus never lost his compassion and sympathy for those in need. 
how easy it would have been to ignore this situation. Or to be too busy or, or distracted at this time. Or to be too focused on the big picture of the cross to stop for this seemingly insignificant individual. And yet Jesus heard the cry and he stopped. Matthew tells us that he was moved with compassion. And Jesus stooped down to assist this lowly individual. The one whose society despised and rejected. The one who was regarded to be under some form of divine judgment for some gross atrocity. This one who was an outcast. Jesus stopped. And he took the time to assist this blind and helpless beggar. The one who everyone else ignored. Now this is Jesus. This is our Jesus, so full of compassion and sympathy. He saw the plight of the individual and he was moved. He took time for this one and assisted him in his great needs. He could have simply clicked his fingers and healed him and continued on his way, but but no, he stops. He gives this one time. He interacts with him personally, showers him in love and kindness, and heals him with a soft and gentle touch. Beloved, Jesus cares for the suffering and the hurting. Our God is one who is full of compassion and love and and no one is too low or too insignificant for Jesus. Jesus cares for you. He is full of compassion and sympathy for you. When you are physically ill or suffering from chronic pain, Jesus cares. When you are suffering with mental anguish, it's crippling you, Jesus cares. When you suffer loss, when life seems pointless and hopeless, when the burdens seem unbearable, my friend, Jesus cares. He is so full of care, kindness and compassion that it permeates his very being. And he's never too busy or too tired to help you. Neither is he ever unavailable to assist and strengthen you in the trials, troubles and suffering in your life. No, please understand that no one cares for you like Jesus. No, no one loves you like Him. And no one understands what you are going through like Him. For we have a Savior who knows exactly what it's like to suffer. Exactly, He knows exactly what it's like to hurt because He endured all of this for our sake. And this equips Him to be kind and caring. To be sympathetic and compassionate. To be the companion that we so desperately need when life gets difficult. This is who Jesus is, the kind and compassionate one. Thirdly and finally, we see the imagery in the healing. Now, There is a very clear and powerful picture of salvation seen in this healing miracle. We in our natural states are blind beggars spiritually. We are lost. We are hopeless. We are dead in our sin. Wicked, putrid, with no hope. Destitute and undone. Destined to spend eternity separated from God. Because of the sin that we are born in. Because of the sin that we participate in. 
all mankind in the natural state is in a completely and utterly hopeless predicament, just like Bartimaeus. But like him, if one calls out to Jesus, if we come to him, if we repent of our sin and ask him for salvation, he will heal us, he will save us, he will not cast us out. Whosoever comes to Christ and places their faith and trust in Him will be saved. Because my friend, Jesus went all the way to the cross. He paid the price for our sin. He took our sin upon Himself. And He has made salvation a possibility for all mankind. And if we come to Christ, we can and will be saved. We will be healed just like Bartimaeus. But my friend, if Bartimaeus had not have cried out to Jesus, he would have remained blind. And if you too refuse to come to Jesus, refuse to repent of your sin, refuse to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you too will remain blind. You too will remain dead in your sin and you will be separated from God in hell for all eternity. That's the message of the Bible. For you have sinned and sin must be paid for. The question is, will you pay for it in hell or will you allow Jesus to pay for it in your place? And for those of us who are saved, who like Bartimaeus have called out to Christ and pleaded for mercy and grace, we too, like this blind man, have been healed immediately and completely. There is nothing left to do. Jesus has finished the work completely. We have been made alive. We have been saved. And this salvation is our eternal possession. We were blind, but now we see for Jesus has healed us totally. And that is good news. And beloved, in light of what Jesus has done for us, we too should respond like Bartimaeus. Notice in verse 52, Jesus tells Bartimaeus to go his way. He gives him this great liberty to do as he pleases. And and notice what he does. Notice his choice. He followed Jesus. That was the right and appropriate response in light of what Jesus had done for him. And in light of the great work that Jesus has done for us, isn't it only right and appropriate that we follow him? This should be the effect that the grace of Christ has on all of those who taste it. As one writer said, A freely pardoned, we ought to give of ourselves freely and willingly to Christ's service. Bought at so mighty a price as the blood of Christ, we ought to devote ourselves heartingly and thoroughly to Him who redeemed us. Grace really experienced will make a man feel daily What shall I render to the Lord for all of His benefits? Now my friend, we have so many glorious benefits in Jesus. We were blind, but now we see that that is amazing grace. And surely in light of all Christ has done for us, what we possess in the presence because of Him, and what we have in store for us in the future, Following Christ, living for Him wholeheartedly, is surely the least that we can do. Amen.